Amen. All right, well, we're there in Leviticus chapter number 23, and we've been working our way through the book of Leviticus, and uh, tonight we're going to get into this chapter. We've got the whiteboard up here because we're going to use it uh, to try to give you some notes because there's a lot of things going on in this chapter, and hopefully uh, maybe showing it to you will, will help a little bit. Look down at verse number 21, Leviticus 23 and verse number 21. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feast of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocation, even these are my feasts. So, in Leviticus 23, and before I get started, let me just make sure that the cameras can see this, if you guys want to just verify that. I don't know, can this, can you guys see this thing over here? All right, good. Um, so, the, this chapter has to do with the feast of the Lord. If you look at the last part of verse 2, it says, even these are my feasts. And he goes through a list of the different feasts that the children of Israel are supposed to uh, partake of. In verse number three, he mentions the, the Sabbath day. He says, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest and holy convocation. You shall do no work therein in the Sabbath of the Lord in your dwellings. Now, the Sabbath is mentioned because like the feast days, it's a day to set apart uh, for the Lord, but it's not a, a feast day. So keep your place there in Leviticus 23. That's where we're going to be for tonight. But go with me to the book of Deuteronomy just real quickly. Deuteronomy chapter number 16. You got Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 16. Deuteronomy 16. And the teaching for tonight, we're going to go through part of the book of Leviticus, and it's going to be fairly traditional as to what everybody really believes about the, the feast of the Lord. And when we get into the second part, uh, we're going to depart from the pre-trib uh, way of looking at things, and we'll see it here uh, through the eyes of, of Scripture. And the reason that I say that is because these feasts are, are prophetic in, in symbolism. They, they symbolize prophecy. They, they, they are a foreshadow or a figure of things to come for the children of Israel. If you're there in Deuteronomy 16, I want you to notice verse number 16. The Bible says, Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God. Deuteronomy 16, 16. In the place which he shall choose... In the feast of unleavened bread, and in the feast of weeks, and in the feast of tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. So, what I want you to understand, and you can go back to, to I just want you to see there, it says three times in a year. You can go back to Leviticus uh, chapter number 23. I want you to understand that when God designed these feast days, and this is a little, let me move this a little bit this way so I have some room. When God designed these feast days, he had designed for the children of Israel to appear before him three times in the year. And basically, the feasts are divided into three different categories. You've got the, the feasts that are done at the springtime. So you've got the spring feasts. And uh, excuse my handwriting. You also have the summer feast. And you've got the fall feasts. These feasts are symbolic of God's plan, uh, redemptive plan for, for mankind. We're going to see that here in a second. The first feast, if you look down at verse number 4, the Bible says in Leviticus 23, 4, These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which uh, ye shall proclaim in their seasons. Notice verse number 5. In the 14th day of the first month. You see the, how it says first month there? In the 14th day of the first month, the Bible says, at even is the Lord's Passover. So the very first feast that you see at the beginning of the year is 
the Lord's Passover. And I want you to notice, keep, keep your place there in Leviticus 23. Go with me to uh, the book of John, John chapter number 1. We'll look at some well-known verses here. John chapter number 1. But I want you to understand that in Leviticus 23, it says in the 14th day of the first month. I want you to understand that in the Bible and for throughout much of history, the year started in the spring. And uh, you'll, you'll find throughout history that most of mankind has always celebrated the beginning of the year in the spring and the end of the year at the fall. And uh, it, it correlates to what you and I would consider April. In fact, it wasn't, uh, you know, the, the used to be on the Julian calendar, and it was a Catholic pope, actually, Pope Gregory VIII, who ended up changing the calendar to what's now known as the Gregorian calendar. That's the calendar that you and I are on. And the reason for that is because the Julian calendar did not match up with the solar, uh, just how long it takes for the earth to go around the sun. So they, they ended up adding months and ended up changing it. Uh, but what you need to understand is that the year used to start in the spring. In fact, it's interesting because in England, England was not a Catholic nation like France and Spain. And when this pope decided to change the calendar, a lot of the Englishmen rejected the new calendar and did not want to go along with the Catholic calendar. And they just said that they were just going to continue to celebrate the beginning of the year on the first of the year. So the rest of the Catholic world would mock them by calling them April Fools because they continued to celebrate, you know, the beginning of the year in April because that's when everybody, including in the Bible, would celebrate the beginning of the year. So the calendar has been changed, the calendar you and I live on today, which is why you see the months don't uh, match up in regards to, you know, like October is the 10th month when it should be the 8th month, or November is the 11th month when it should be the 9th month. So that's why it starts in the spring, because the biblical calendar started in the spring. And we're going to get back to this here in, in, at the end of the sermon, but here's what you need to understand. The biblical calendar is on a lunar uh, cycle. So it's 30-day months, and it's 360 days, as opposed to what you and I are used to, which is a solar cycle, which is 365 days a year, and we've got months that have 30 days and 31 days. So you begin the year with this Passover, and here's what I want you to understand. The spring feasts are basically a picture of, and I should have, uh, let me get this. The spring feasts are basically a picture of the first advent or coming of Christ. So the spring feasts fulfill the coming of Christ. So you have the Lord's Passover, which of course, what was the Lord's Passover? And we don't have time to go into the whole story of the Lord's Passover, but the Lord's Passover is basically when the, this was done to celebrate what the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, when they sacrificed the lamb, when they put the blood on the doorpost, when the angel of death came down to bring down the judgment of God, anyone who had the blood applied, he would pass over them, which is why it's called the Lord's Passover. And it's a picture of the blood and the sacrifice of a lamb appeasing the judgment of God. Well, that is a picture, of course, of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think you're there in John. Look at uh, chapter number 1 and look at verse number 29. John chapter 1 and verse 29. John 1.29 says this, this is John the Baptist when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.29, he said, the Bible says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, 
which taketh away the sins of the world. If you go down to verse number 36, same chapter, John 1 and verse 36 says, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, this again, John, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Go to, keep, keep your place there in John because we're going to come back to it. But go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And do me a favor, keep your place in 1 Corinthians also because we're going to go back to John. We're going to go back to 1 Corinthians. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Now, I want you to understand, the spring feasts were all accomplished at the first advent of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, the Bible says this. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. Notice what the Bible says in verse 7. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So the Passover, you could preach a whole sermon on the correlations and how the Lord Jesus Christ uh, perfectly fit, even down to the exact days, the qualifications of the Passover and how the Passover is done. So you got the first feast, which is the Lord's Passover. And here's what you need to understand about the Passover. This pictures the death of Christ. That is the representation there. Now go back to Leviticus 23 and look at verse number 6. You've got the second feast uh, that is mentioned. There's seven feasts total. You've got the second feast... Uh, which is the second one in the spring. Leviticus 23, look verse 6. The Bible says this, And on the 15th day. Now notice, the Lord's Passover was on the 14th day. All right? So the Passover takes place on the 14th day. The next feast is the very next day. The 15th day of the same month. Notice what the Bible says, is the feast of unleavened bread. So the second feast that you have, I'm really sorry about my handwriting, is the feast of unleavened bread. Now what this feast represents is the burial. Because if you notice there in verse number 6, it says the the same day, the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord, seven days you must eat unleavened bread, and the first day you shall have an holy convocation, you shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days, and the seventh day is an holy convocation, you shall do no servile work. Now, if you kept your place in John, go back to John just real quickly. So this is what the Feast of Unleavened Bread is basically, is basically, let me fix that. There's two characteristics to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Number one, it's bread, and number two, it's unleavened. So obviously in Scripture, leaven is a picture of sin. I'm not going to take the time to prove that to you. You can study that out on your own. The Lord Jesus Christ said this in John 6.35. Notice what he says. John chapter 6, verse 35. He says, And Jesus said unto them, John 6.35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. John chapter 6 and verse 35. Notice what he said. John 6.35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Look down at verse number 41, same chapter. Acts, uh, I'm sorry, John 6.41. The Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. So the Lord Jesus Christ himself, John said, Behold the Lamb of God, as a fulfillment of the Lord's Passover, and then Jesus said, I am the bread of life. But I want you to notice, not only was he just bread, he was unleavened bread because of the fact that he was sinless. But not only that, the reason that it, it, the reason that it uh, is a picture 
of the burial is because in Acts chapter 2, go there. I know you know these verses, but let's look at them together. Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, the Bible says this. You got, you're there in John, just go one book over. Acts chapter 2 and uh, verse 23. Acts 2.23. Acts 2.23 says this. Him, talking about Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So when that happened, the Lord's Passover. Notice verse 24. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him. So David isn't speaking about himself, but he's prophesying about the Lord Jesus Christ. For David speaking concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, and I should not be moved. Verse 26. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Notice verse 27. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. So notice, the Bible says that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. Three days he spent in hell, but he was resurrected so that his body would not see corruption, would not begin to decay. And the idea there is that it was unleavened bread. So in the first advent of Christ, you've got the Lord's Passover, which represents the death of Christ. You've got the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which represents the burial. The fact that that bread was not allowed to corrupt, was not allowed to um, begin to decay. Go, Go back to Leviticus 23. Let me show you the third feast in the... I'll just take my notes with me. The third feast in the spring. The third feast in the spring, notice verse number 9. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of, notice this word, first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. So the third was the feast of first fruits. They were supposed to reap the land, the Bible says, and they they were supposed to bring in the first fruits of the harvest. And he also talks there about how they're supposed to take care of the poor, and we won't get into that. We've talked about that before. Go go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, we'll see how this is fulfilled in the first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me go ahead and write this. So you've got the death of Christ, you've got the burial of Christ, and then you've got the resurrection. So the first fruit is a mention is 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 referring to the resurrection. Let's look at it in First Corinthians fifteen. The Bible says this. But now is Christ risen? You see there the mention of the resurrection. Of course, First Corinthians fifteen is the, the 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 chapter on the resurrection, not only of the Lord Jesus Christ, but of the rapture and when we get resurrected. He says, "But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept." Now he's notice he's called the first fruits which is a correlation to the feast of the first fruits. And the reason he's called the first fruits, and the reason that you had the feast of the first fruits, and here's what you need to understand. This was not the entire harvest that they brought in. This was just when the harvest began. The first fruits that they were able to uh, take out of the land, they were supposed to present them to the Lord at the feast of first fruits. And the picture is that the Lord Jesus Christ was the first to be resurrected in his glorified body. Notice uh, there 
Uh, look at verse 21. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Notice verse 23. But every man in his own order. Christ the first fruits, he's the first resurrection. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. What is that? That's the rapture. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, then we will be resurrected. That's the full thing coming out. But at first, at first, you brought the first fruits, and that's represented in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's very clearly taught there in verse 23. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ is coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, and he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. So I want you to notice, they're supposed to present themselves three times with the Lord. The first time was in the spring, and they had the Lord's Passover, they had the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they have the first fruits, and these three uh, feasts were basically a picture of the first coming or the first advent of Christ, representing the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. Go back to Leviticus 23. Look down at verse number, we're going to skip verses 11 through 14 uh, for now. It just goes into what they were supposed to do at the Feast of First Fruits and, and uh, talks about sacrifices. We've already talked about all those things. But look at verse number 15. Now in verse number 15, we shift gears a little bit and we go from spring to summer. Notice verse number 15. And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye uh, brought the sheaf of the wave of offerings, seven Sabbaths, shall be complete. So a Sabbath is a week long. And he says, from the first fruits, you're going to count seven Sabbaths or seven weeks. And after that, he says, you're going to go one day and then you're going to count seven. Look at verse 16. Even unto the morrow after the Sabbath shall ye number 50 days and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. So they brought the first fruits at the end of the spring feast and then 50 days later, go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 2. 50 days later, they were supposed to bring, they were supposed to bring with them or bring to God what is referred to as the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks. Now, it's called the Feast of Weeks because of the fact that they were supposed to wait seven uh, weeks, 49 days to be able to get there. Now, this was done during the first, this, this spring feast were completed during the first advent of Christ. There's only one summer feast, and it's the feast of weeks. And it's 50 days after the first fruits. Notice, are you there in, uh, where I have you go? Acts chapter 2, look at verse number 1. Now notice, after the ascension of Christ, right, we're in Acts 2. In Acts 1, he said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Judea and in Samaria, and unto the, uh, in Jerusalem and Judea, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says this, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, what is the day of Pentecost? The day of Pentecost is this Feast of Weeks. Because the word Pente has to do with five, and the word Pentecost, man, my handwriting is terrible. is a reference to the 50 days that they were supposed to wait. And if you look at Acts chapter 2, you'll notice that there's all sorts of people there in Jerusalem. Why are they there? Because they're there to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. All right? Now, this was done. These three feasts were accomplished on the first advent of Christ. This one was accomplished on the day of Pentecost. Look at Acts 2.41, just for sake of time. 
We could read the whole chapter, but just look at verse 41. How did the day of Pentecost end? Because you know the story. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. They spake with tongues. You know, they spake languages, the Bible tells us. They went out and won many souls, Acts 2.41. And they that gladly received this word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now look, this summer feast, the day of Pentecost was just the beginning of the movement of what is known as the local New Testament church. Now, I don't necessarily believe that the local church started on the day of Pentecost. But it was definitely empowered on the day of Pentecost. And this was like their big day. This was like their family friend day, right? They went out and they had many people saved. They got people baptized. They brought them. Now, here's what I want you to understand. This feast is not necessarily in the first advent of Christ. And it's not in the second advent of Christ. This one is just us. This one represents soul winning. Or you could say the Great Commission. Because this is what we're supposed to be doing, is what they were doing on the day of Pentecost, is what they were doing all throughout the book of Acts, is winning souls. And it has to do with the harvest. It has to do with the fact that they went out. Look look at Leviticus 23. Look at verse number 22. Notice what the Bible says about the day of Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks. Leviticus 23 and verse 22. Leviticus 23, 22. And when ye, notice these words, reap the harvest of your land. It has to do with, so the first fruit had to do with just the first part of the harvest that came up. They brought that before the Lord. But then 50 days later, now they're full in reaping the harvest of the land. He says, and they're supposed to bring that and celebrate the feast of weeks. Now, all throughout the Bible, the harvest of the land is a picture of not only is not only end-time terminology, but also of soul winning and bringing in the harvest. Go to John chapter number four. If you kept your place in Acts, or if you were in Acts, just one book back is the book of John. John chapter four. This is where you and I live right now. This is where we are in, in regards to the, 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 you know, end times uh, timeline. We're not living during the advent of Christ, but we are living during this time when we're supposed to be out winning people, seeing people saved. John 4.35 says this, Say not ye, this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, John 4.35, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your heads and look on the field, for they are white already to harvest. So this is where you and I live. Our dispensational friends would call this the church age. We don't believe in ages or things like that, but we're living during the time of the local New Testament church. The Lord Jesus Christ came to establish the church. He says, I will build my church. He died for the church. He's the head of the church. And now we are living during the empowerment of the church, and our job is to go out and bring in that harvest and see many people saved. Go, go back to Leviticus 23. Look at verse number 23. So we got the spring feast, and those were accomplished during the first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, the first coming of Christ. You had the Lord's Passover, that represents the death of Christ. And you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which I believe is a picture of the burial of Christ. And you have the Feast of the First Fruits, which is a picture of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you had 50 days later, the Day of Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, which is a picture of soul winning and of the church being empowered, going out and bringing people uh, uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Leviticus 23 and verse 23. The Bible says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Notice what it says there, in the seventh month. So now we, we were at the beginning of the year. Now we're in the seventh month. 
Now we're in what we would call the fall. So now we're going to get into the fall feast. Notice what he says. In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, she, uh, she uh, I'm sorry, shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial, notice this, of blowing of trumpets and holy convocation. So you had the first feast was the Lord's Passover. The second feast was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The third feast was the Feast of first fruits. The fourth feast was the Feast of Weeks or the Day of Pentecost. And then you've got the fifth feast, which is the Feast of Trumpets. Now, I want you to notice that it says the Feast of Trumpets, plural, not trumpet, singular. So you had these accomplished during the first advent of Christ. We're living through this, at least we should be, you know, living in the day of Pentecost and seeing people saved. And, you know, like we talked about Sunday night, the filling of the Holy Spirit and going out and doing great works. These feasts will be accomplished during the second advent or the second coming of Christ. Now, if you kept your place, I don't know if you kept your place, but go, go to Matthew chapter number 13. When we get to the fall, at the end of the spring feast, we had the feast of first fruits, right? That was the beginning of the harvest. Then you have the feast of weeks. This is really the harvest or the bulk of the harvest. This is where the harvest is being brought in. When you get to the fall, you now get to the end of the harvest. When the harvest is ending, and in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 39, the Lord Jesus Christ taught in a parable that this is a picture of end times philosophy. Matthew 13 and verse 39, the Bible says this, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the reapers are the angels. So we have there the Lord Jesus saying the harvest is the end of the world. And he's talking about the end of the harvest when he sends out the reapers, which are the angels, the, uh, to go gather up the elect from the four winds of heaven and bring them all together. That is a picture of the end time. So the springtime feasts were fulfilled by Christ at his first advent. The summer feast is being fulfilled right now. We should be living through it. And then you've got the third feast, or the fall feast, excuse me, which will be fulfilled with the second advent of Christ. Now go back to Leviticus 23, and let's talk about this. So up until this point, no, you know, most Baptists are not going to disagree with much that we're saying, you know, obviously there's always a little bit of disagreement here and there when you're talking about symbolism. But our church is not a pre-tribulation rapture church. We are a post-trib, pre-wrath position church. The reason we are that is because of the fact that that's what the Bible is. The Bible says that it's after the tribulation. The Bible says that nowhere in the Bible do you find the teaching that the rapture comes before the tribulation. Now, most pre-tribulation rapture uh, preachers would, are going to agree with all of this right up until we get to the fall feast. Because when you get to the feast of trumpets, most pre-tribbers believe that this is a picture of the rapture. And they'll say, see, the trumpets are sounding, and it is a picture of the rapture. Go, are you there in Leviticus 23? Look at verse number 24. Leviticus 23 and verse 24. Notice what the Bible says. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, and I want you to make note of that. In the seventh month, in the first day of the month. All right, so, so what is the first day of the seventh month? That is the middle of the year, 
right? You've got, you know, the first six months is the first part of the year. Then you've got the rest of the months, the, the next seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 months, which is the rest of the year. So the Feast of Trumpets takes place in the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial, and notice verse 24, a blowing of trumpets. You see that little S there at the end? And holy convocation. Now here's where pre-tribbers, well pre-tribbers get off on a, they got off a long time ago on a whole lot of different stuff. But this is where they get messed up, is because they'll, they'll look at the trumpets and they'll say, oh, that's the trump of God. Okay, but here's the thing. It's the trump, singular, of God, not the trumpets of God. And they'll say this is the last trumpet that's blown at the end of the year. But that's not true. This is not the last trumpet that's blown at the end of the year. And we'll look at that here in a minute. So you say, well, if that's not the rapture, then what are we talking about? Go to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter number 9. Daniel in the Old Testament, you got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. So up to this point, most pre-tribbers and most Baptists, most Christians are going to not have an issue with it. But the next three points, you get mixed up when you start looking at it through the lens of pre-tribulation rapture. And we want to not do that and make sure that we're just following the Bible. So I'm going to try to help you out with this. And just so you know, if you want more follow-up on this, or if you'd like to learn more about this, this is... uh, Pastor Anderson, in his Revelation series, goes over this uh, pretty thoroughly, I feel like, and um, explains it in in that Revelation series that Paul Wittenberger put out. But I'm going to try to draw this out for you and maybe help you visualize it so you can... I just want to try to help you understand what's going on here. The Feast of Unleavened... I'm sorry, the Feast of Trumpets happens in the middle of the year, right? We've got the seventh month in the first day of the month. So this line right here basically is a picture is is going to represent for us end times timeline, all right? So when we're talking about the end times the timeline that is the end times, this is what we're talking about. Now, it's going to picture two different things that we're going to look at. One is what we've been looking at, which is the feast of the Lord. Because of the fact that the feast of the Lord, as we've already seen, has prophetic symbolism to it. Moses was teaching them about this, but really it was about the Lord Jesus Christ, his first coming. The, what happens between the first and the second coming of Christ, and then you've got the second coming. So we're also going to overlap it with what's normally known as the end times timeline, which is Daniel's 70th week. Now here's what you need to understand. When we're talking about a scale, Daniel's 70th week is a reference to the last week of end times prophecy, but it's a week of years. So we're talking about a seven-year scale. As opposed to the Feast of the Lord, which this all happened in a one-year stand. So the scale for the Feast of the Lord is one year, while Daniel's 70th week is on a seven-year scale. Hopefully that makes sense to you. Now here's what the Bible says. The feast, of the, uh, the, the feast of the trumpet happens in the first day of the seventh month. So that is right in the middle of the year. Notice what the Bible says about Daniel's 70th week. Look at Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. Daniel 9, 27. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. The Bible says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. 
That's the famous Daniel 70th week. Remember, it's a week of years. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week. So I want you to notice, during the 70th week, the Bible tells us in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of, notice these words, abominations, he shall make it desolate. Notice those two words, abominations, desolate, even until the consummation and the determined shall be poured out upon the desolate. So I want you to notice that the Bible says in the midst of the week that he, there's the overspreading of the abominations uh, and that he shall make it desolate. Go to Daniel chapter number 12. Look at verse number 11. Daniel chapter number 12. And verse number 11, notice what Daniel 12, 11 says. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that make a desolate set up. Do you see that? So we saw in Daniel 9, 27, when was the abominations where it says for the overspreading of the abominations, he shall make it desolate. When was that? That was in the midst of the week. Here Daniel 12, 17 says, and from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away in the midst of the week, and the abomination that make a desolate set up. Notice it refers to the abomination of desolation as an object, something that you set up. There shall be 1,290 days, is what the Bible says. So here's what I want you to understand. The Bible teaches that in the midst of the week, when we're talking about Daniel's 70th week, is when the abomination... Of desolation is set up. We're also told that when you're looking at the one year scale of the feast days, that it is in the middle of the year when the feast of trumpets sounds. Now, in Daniel chapter uh, 12 and verse 11, there, we're told that from this moment to over here, we have, what was the number? 1,000. 290 days. One thousand two hundred ninety days. From the moment that the that the abomination of desolation set up to the end of this seventy day timeline. All right. So that's what. So when you're looking at the timeline of end times. The fall of the feast doesn't really fall, I'm sorry, the, the feast of the trumpets doesn't really fall with the rapture. It lines itself up with the abomination of desolation. So the feast of the trumpets is actually about the Antichrist or the abomination of desolation. Now, you may ask, well, why, why does it matter? Why do we need to know the Feast of the Trumpets that has to do with the abomination of desolation. Well, here's why. Go to Matthew 24 and look at verse number 15. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15. I know you know this, but let's just look at it together. Matthew 24 and verse 15. The abomination of desolation is basically what you and I are looking at. What we are looking for. That's kind of like the ready, set, go. All right? Because right now, you know, you guys are all like, man, there's an earthquake in Mexico, and there's another earthquake in Mexico, and then there was the hurricanes, and there's this, and there's that. And that's all true. You know, all of that's going to happen in diverse places, and there's signs of, you know, it seems like the end time. But here's the thing. None of us can really know for sure, because the events that happen to do with end times, they're like a, like a woman 
giving labor. They're gonna, they're like contractions that get harder and worse. And yeah, there's gonna be wars and rumors of wars. There's gonna be, you know, North Korea sending a missile over Japan. There's gonna be Trump saying we're gonna destroy North Korea. You know, you're gonna hear all that, but you don't really know because that's what happened all the time. It's just gonna get worse and worse. There's gonna be earthquakes and diverse places and all of that. But here's when you will know, okay, it's, it's, we're in it. Matthew 24 and verse 15. The Bible says, Jesus said, remember they asked him for the signs of the time. He says, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let him which, um, which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes, and woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye the, uh, that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation. I want you to notice that great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor nor ever shall be. So here's what you need to understand. This whole time has been called the tribulation, But when the abomination that maketh desolate is set up, it is now referred to as the great tribulation. And this is when we are told, just run, just go. Don't even go back home. Just run to the hills or wherever you're planning on going. Go to Numbers chapter number 10. If you're there in Leviticus, you're going to have the next book is Numbers. You say, well, what what does the Feast of the Trumpets, plural, have to do with the abomination of desolation. Well, again, the pre-tribbers will teach, well, it's a trumpet, so that has to be the rapture. But here's the thing. The rapture is one trump. It's the trump of God. It's, it's one trump that sound. So you say, well, what's the trumpets all about? Numbers chapter 10 and verse 9 is one example of this in Scripture. Numbers chapter 10. Because in the Bible, you'll find, as you read the Old Testament, they're blowing trumpets for all sorts of things. And one reason that they would blow the trumpets in Numbers chapter 10, verse 9, the Bible says this, And if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresseth you, then ye shall blow an alarm. Notice what it says. With trumpets. Notice it's plural. And ye shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and ye shall be saved for your enemies. So they would often blow trumpets as an alarm. And this is really the abomination of desolation. That's kind of the alarm for everyone. Like, okay, this is real. This is the, the, this is the real thing. You know, we are in the end times. We are in the great tribulation. When the abomination of desolation is set up, by the way, is when the uh, Antichrist at during this time, I'm going to be preaching about this at the Prophecy Conference, but during this time, he basically unites the new world order and creates the one world government. The abomination of desolation is when he then brings the world under a one world religion. Because the reason that the abomination of desolation is set up is because the Bible takes us that he's wounded in the head and he comes back, you know, uh, as, as the, the man of sin, the son of perdition, and the false prophet sets up an idol, which is the abomination of desolation, and says, this man is God, you know, and he basically calls himself God, he sits down in the temple of God, he unites, he's already united the whole world in a one world government, the one world currency, but then he unites them in a one world religion, and that's where the mark of the beast is given out, that's where you will not be able to buy or sell unless you've got the mark, that's where great persecution comes upon uh, Christianity. 
go to, go, go to Leviticus 23, and then we're going to go to Daniel. Leviticus 23, and we're going to go back to Daniel. Leviticus 23 and verse number 26. Leviticus 23 and verse 26. Leviticus 23, 26. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day. So I want you to notice, the tenth day of this seventh month. All right? So on the first day of the seventh month, what did they do? They had the Feast of the Trumpets. Right? But now we're told, on the tenth day of the same month, there shall be a Day of Atonement. Now the Day of Atonement is probably the most famous of all of the feasts, you know, maybe other than just than the Passover. But the Day of Atonement is the sixth feast. The Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement is a picture of salvation, complete salvation. And this is actually the picture of the rapture. And you say, well, what, how did, well, what does that have to do with rapture? We'll look at that in a second. But go back to Daniel chapter 12. Let me just show you something real quick. Daniel chapter 12. And look at verse 12. Remember we saw Daniel chapter 12 and verse 11. And we saw this number, 1,290 days. What was that? That was Daniel 12, 11. All right. Well, in Daniel 12, 12, the Bible says this. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. What's that number? One thousand three hundred thirty-five days. He says, if you can make it to the one thousand three hundred thirty-five day, you are you're going to be blessed. You know, and Matthew says that you'll be saved, not a spiritual salvation, but your flesh. So you say, well, what is that talking about? Well, that number starts here when the week begins. He says, if you can go from here. To the 1,335 day, according to Daniel 12.12, he said, you are going to be blessed. Now notice, this number overlaps this a little bit. This is the 1,335 day when the Great Tribulation begins at the 1,335. 260 day, which is the middle of the year. Now, let me just explain something real quickly. You may be looking at this and saying, here we have 1,260 days, right? 30 days in a month, 42 day, 42 months, 1,260. We see that all throughout the Bible. You see, you see this number twice in the book of Revelation. You see 42 months throughout the book of Revelation, throughout the book of Daniel. 1,260 days. You may be wondering, well, how is it the midst of the year if it's 1,260 days on this side of it and 1,290 days on that side of it? And that's where I was telling you, you got to understand the calendar system because we are on a 365-year solar calendar cycle. In the Bible, they were on a lunar calendar cycle. That's why they're always blowing the trumpet when the moon does this or whatever. So they had 30 days, which means it's a 360-day year. So their year had five less days than our year does. Well, obviously, that's going to catch up with you eventually. So what they would do, because they were on a seven-year system, Daniel's 70th week, you see all throughout the Bible, you know, after seven years, seven years, seven years, you know, after 49 years, you had the year of Jubilee, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. What they would do is, after six years, they would basically add 30 days, 
to the end of the year, kind of like we add a leap day, you know, once every seven years or whatever it is, they would add a leap month. Just so you understand, that's why you see that number there. There's, there's an extra three days because otherwise you're not, you, you know, you're going to mess up your seasons and that's, that's how they did it. So the middle of the year of most years would be 1260 on this side, 1260 on that side. But of the seventh year, it'd be 1260 on this side, 1290 on that side. So 1,335 gets you to right here. What's so, why is he telling you you're blessed if you make it to right here? What's so great about that? Well, this is the rapture. And what that tells us is that from here, 1,260, to here, 1,335, you've got 75 days. So I don't know what you guys need, you know, 15, you know, 20 guns or whatever. You only got to survive 75 days, all right? Just make sure you got 75 days worth of food and you're good to go, all right? You know, a few extra clothing or whatever and uh, get out wherever you're going to go camping for those days. But this is, this is the rapture. This is the day of atonement. Let me show you. Let's see. Where do I want you to go? Uh, go to, well, let's look at this real quick. Go, go to Leviticus 25. Leviticus 25. So we, we're in Leviticus 23, but just go to Leviticus 25. And let me just explain this real quick. You say, well, what does the Day of Atonement have to do with the rapture? Well, notice Leviticus 25. And we're, I'm going to preach a whole sermon on the year of Jubilee when we get to Leviticus 25 in a couple of weeks. But for now, I just want you to notice this. Leviticus 25, verse 9. Then shalt thou cause, notice, the trumpet, singular. See, they say, well, this is the last trumpet of the year. But no, we're going to read about another trumpet. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound. When does the trumpet of the Jubilee sound? On the 10th day of the 7th month. When is the day of atonement? It's the 10th day of the 7th month. So, look, the rapture happens here. But when you're looking at the scale of the Feast of the Lord, you've got the first day of the seventh month. We're going to see how the tenth day of the seventh month falls right here. So on the tenth day of the seventh month, the Bible says, Leviticus 25, 9, In the day of atonement shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all your land, and what is that? Is that to get ready for war? Look at verse 10. And ye shall hollow the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the habitations thereof, and it shall be jubilee unto you. And ye shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall uh, return every man unto his family. Now, here's what I want you to understand. This, on the day of atonement, at the 50th year, so not every day of atonement, but on the 50th year, the year of jubilee, because the year of jubilee was only the 50th day, they were also to sound the trumpet of the Jubilee. And it was to proclaim liberty. It meant you went back home. It meant you went back to your family. And look, isn't that the rapture? The trump will sound. They'll proclaim liberty, and we're going to go back home. We're going to go be with family. We're going to get out of this place. But here's what I understand. The day... The Feast of the Trumpets was in the midst of the year, or in the midst of the, uh, the year, the first day of the seventh month. And the Day of Atonement 
on the, on the 50th year when the trumpet of Jubilee was sounded, it was on the 10th day of the month. So when you're looking at the scale in a one-year scale, you have 10 days between these two events. Those 10 days represent the tribulation, the great tribulation, the persecution that we're going to have to endure. When you're looking at it on a seven-year scale, Daniel's 70th week, you have 75 days there. Well, if you do the math and you take the 1,000... 335 days and divide that by seven because we were taking a seven-year scale and try to equate it into a one-year scale, you're going to get the number, which is 190.71 days. Do you understand what I just said? If you take the 1,335 days, which is when the rapture is going to happen from the moment the tribulation period begins on the Daniel 70th week, and you divide that by seven to try to see where it falls on the scale for the weeks, you've got 190 days. Well, here's the thing. When you take six months times 30, which is right here, that would be the first part of the year. Then you've got the first day of the seventh year. That's 180 days. And then you add the 10 days when the 10th day of the month, you know what you got? 190 days. And here's all I'm trying to show you is that the feast of the, ta- of the Lord fall exactly with the end times events because the Lord Jesus Christ was actually crucified on the day of Passover. And he actually was buried on the feast of unleavened bread. And he was actually the first fruits that resurrected from the grave. And on the actual day of Pentecost, the actual day of Pentecost is when... The Holy Spirit filled them and they spoke with tongues and they had a great, you know, uh, harvest that came in and this whole thing started. And if it, if it all lined up perfectly there and it lines up perfectly on, on paper, then look, this is all going to line up as well. You've got the Feast of the Trumpets, which is not the rapture, but it's an alarm, the abomination of desolation in the midst of the week or in the middle of the year. And then you've got 10 days later, if you're looking at it on a year scale, you've got the day of atonement with the trumpet of the jubilee sounding and saying liberty to all go back home or if you're looking at it on a seven-year scale which is daniel's 70th week that would be 75 days because obviously 75 divided by uh seven you're going to have that 10 point whatever number there so it's those 10 days so it matches up perfectly in the sense that now look symbolically it's a 10-day tribulation And even in the book of Revelation, it talks about, you know, the 10 days that you'll go through tribulation for one of the churches there. But literally, it will be just 75 days. Like once you, the abomination of desolation goes up, just start marking off 75 days. And after that, you know, uh, look up to heaven because your redemption draweth nigh. Because you're going to hear the trumpet of the jubilee sound and we're about to go home. So we've gone through six. Let me give you the last one just real quickly. Go to Leviticus 23 and look at verse number 33 because there's seven feasts that are mentioned. The seventh feast is the Feast of Tabernacles. Or you'll often see this in in Scripture referred to as the Feast of Booths. So the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, a booth is a tabernacle, is basically when the entire nation would go camping. They would go and actually be in a tent, a tabernacle, 
for seven days. Look at Leviticus 23, look at verse 33. Leviticus 23, verse 33. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. Now, the reason they were supposed to do the Feast of Tabernacles was to remember how they dwelt in tents during the wilderness period of their history. But the symbolic picture here is that this is the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the millennium. And let me show you something interesting about, about that. Go to the book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 14. If you, if you go to the book of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament, just one book backwards, you have the book of Zechariah. Zechariah 14. What's interesting, so there's a couple of connections here, and I've already taken too long, so I'm not going to... Um, I'm not going to go into this, but the Bible often refers to, in the, in the New Testament, the tabernacle is a picture of our bodies. So it's interesting that the Feast of Tabernacles happens during the millennial reign when, when we leave this tabernacle and we get a mansion, you know. That'll be a nice tabernacle to live in, you know, the, the glorified body that God's going to give us. But what's interesting about the Feast of Tabernacles is that it's actually mentioned in the millennial reign Scriptures. I'm also preaching on the millennial reign at the uh, prophecy conference. But look at Zechariah 14. Look at verse number 16. Zechariah 14 and verse 16. The Bible says this, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king. So this is millennial reign uh, 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 passage. Where it's talking about these nations coming up to worship the king uh, from, from year to year. To worship the king, the Lord of hosts. Notice what it says at the end of verse 16. To keep the feast of tabernacles. So it's talking about during the millennial reign, the fact that we're going to keep the feast of tabernacles with God himself. You say, why is it lumped in there? Because it represents the millennial reign. Look at verse 17. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even unto them shall be no rain. And if, thy fam- and if the family of Egypt go not up and come not and have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. So notice we're keeping the Feast of Tabernacles, but also notice there's still like unsaved people during the millennial reign. There's people that are not wanting to acknowledge God and God's not blessing them. Look at verse 19. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not, that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. All right. Talking about the millennial reign. That's why it's mentioned there. So we have the spring feast accomplished in the first advent of Christ. The Lord's Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits. Then you've got the Summer Feast, the Feast of Weeks, the Day of Pentecost. That's soul winning. That's where you and I live right now. Then you've got the Second Advent of Christ. The Feast of Trumpets is sounding the alarm in the middle of the year, the first day of the seventh month, or the midst of the week, if you're looking at Daniel's 70th week. Why? Because the abomination of desolation is set up, and you need to go run, because great tribulation is going to happen And then 10 days later, if you're looking at the feast calendar, you've got the Feast of Atonement with the trumpet of the Jubilee sounding, and liberty is proclaimed, and you've got the rapture. Or if you're looking at the 70th week scale, 75 days later, he said, hey, if you can make it to 1,335 days, 
uh, which is 75 days after the 1260, then you're going to, uh, you know, be blessed. You're going to go up to the rapture. Let me show you one more thing. And then you got the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is mentioned in Zechariah during the millennial reign because, it re- because it's about the millennial reign. Let me show you just one more thing about the Feast of Tabernacles in connection to the millennial reign. Go back to Leviticus 23. Look at verse 40. We're going to skip verses 5 through 9 for now. But look at verse 40. Leviticus 23 and verse 40. I want you to notice what the Bible says, Leviticus twenty three forty, and ye shall take and, and and ye shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees. Just notice this: branches of palm trees and the boughs of thick trees and willows of brook, and ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. So he talks about the fact that we take branches of palm trees. Go to Revelation chapter seven and look at verse nine. We're going to look at Revelation and we're going to look at Jeremiah and then we'll be done. All right, uh, Revelation chapter seven. Look at verse nine. Revelation chapter 7, and look at verse number 9. Revelation 7, 9. Notice in Leviticus, Leviticus 23, 40, when it's talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, it mentions the branches of palm trees, that we take the branches of palm trees. Well, in Revelation 7, 9, the Bible says this, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude. That's after the Day of Atonement. That's after the trumpet of Jubilee is sounded. That's the rapture. He says, and, and, and after this I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, and notice, they're already ready for the Feast of Tabernacles and palms in their hands. Why? Because the next event after the Day of Atonement is the Feast of Tabernacles. And after the, the wrath of God is finished, we're going to go into the millennial reign and we're going to finish up. All right, go to Jeremiah chapter 8 and we'll be done. Jeremiah chapter number 8. And I uh, want to show you just one verse or couple, two verses. Look at verse 19. So you got the first, the spring feast. Those have already been accomplished. He accomplished them perfectly. The first advent of Christ. Then you've got the fall feast. Those are to come. The feast of trumpets, the abomination of desolation, the beginning of the great tribulation. The day of atonement with the trumpet of the jubilee sounding, the ra- which is the rapture, the end of the great tribulation. The feast of tabernacles is a millennial reign. We'll be reigning with Christ and we'll be uh, worshiping Christ. But on this timeline, where, where, where do you and I fall? Right here. The summer feast. The soul winning feast. The Feast of Weeks, the, the Pentecost, you know, the, 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 the local church movement was empowered on the day of Pentecost, and we're not done till Jesus Christ returns. And we're not done, uh, and he's not going to return till the whole world has heard the gospel. That's what the Bible says. In fact, part of the Great Tribulation period is to just push us out to preach the gospel and to go out into all the world. But here's what's interesting about this summer feast or this summer uh, time frame in which you and I live. Uh, you're there in Jeremiah 8. Look at verse 19. Notice what verse 19 says. Behold, the voice of the cry of the daughters of my people, because of them that dwell in a far country, is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their graven images and with their strange vanities? I want you to notice what people say in verse 20. Notice what they said in verse 20. The harvest is past. The summer is ended, and we are not saved. You know, we get really excited about studying this stuff out, and, it, and we should get excited. And God gives us that to look at and praise the Lord that we can study it out, and we can look at it, and it can make sense to us. But you know, the truth of the matter is, when this begins, there's going to be people that are going to be saying, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. And you know, your job and my job is to realize that we need to try to get as many people saved 
during this time, during the summer months, while we can still bring in the harvest, because there is coming a day when they'll say the summer is ended. The harvest is done. Like we, we sang about on Sunday night, so little time, the harvest will be over. Our reaping done, we reapers taken home. When people will say, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. So, you know, let's make sure that we study this stuff out, but let's allow this to motivate us to just keep the main thing the main thing, which is soul winning, which is reaching people, which is taking advantage of this time that we have, because this time is coming. Just like this was fulfilled to the... To, to, you know, every little detail, this will be fulfilled, every little detail. Let's enjoy this time that we have to be able to go out and preach the gospel, to see a great harvest. That's why Jesus said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth labors into his harvest. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for these great chapters, Lord, that we can learn and study from. And I pray that you would just help it, uh, to motivate us, Lord, not, not to just sit there and, and, and grow in a lot of information and, and just, just so that we can... Uh, feel smart, Lord, but that we can be motivated because the harvest is going to end. And one day the summer will be over, the harvest will be ended, and people will say, we're not saved. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be motivated to go out and preach the gospel, get people saved. I pray that this was uh, just helpful and and understandable. And Lord, I pray that you would just uh, bless the rest of this week and bless the services to come this weekend. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.